Hello everyone and welcome back to the most stupendous two-night WrestleMania 38 podcast in history. Well, it's actually just my first one, and I promise that I won't be using all these marketing buzz terms nearly as haphazardly as WWE. But it's official, WrestleMania has come and gone for another year and we can now look forward to next year's event in beautiful Los Angeles. Before we get there, however, I still have some business to take care of right now, so in the words of LA Knight, let me talk to you. It's been a while, hasn't it? Going all the way back to yesterday afternoon. But let's not waste any more time. WrestleMania ended the weekend, but there were also the events that started the weekend, including Impact Wrestling's Multiverse of Matches extravaganza, and might I just say to get things started that this is a fascinating concept. I just love when all these different companies work together to produce an event for the pure entertainment of fans across the globe. The Ultimate X-Match kicked things off for the Impact X-Division title. It was defending champion Trey Miguel against his multiple challengers Blake Christian, Jordan Grace, Vincent representing Honor No More, Rich Swan, and Chris Bay representing Bullet Club. Like the latter match in NXT, there was a lot of high-flying offense which you'd expect from a match like this, but I think the combatants in this match focused more on actually winning it rather than just performing spots, which was great. Jordan showed off her strength in the early going, and for anyone following her Instagram account, you just know. She delivered a muscle buster to Bay. And as I said, there was a lot of high-flying offense, including destroyers and somersault planchas off the metal structure connected to the ring. In the end, it was Trey and Jordan racing for the belt, and Miguel was just a hair quicker and managed to hold on to his title. Gallows and Anderson cut a taped promo from some kind of fan convention. It might have been WrestleCon, but I missed that part. They basically talked not only about their upcoming multiverse match with the Briscoes, but also being involved in the multiple team match at Rebellion on April 23rd. That card is really shaping up nicely, by the way. The much-anticipated mixed tag match was next. It had been built up across promotions, and it was one of the featured bouts on Friday's card. It was the Cardonas against the Aldises. <laughs> Seems like a game of family feud, doesn't it? Mickey and Chelsea engaged in a brawl almost immediately, but were separated to their respective corners by their husbands, as the bell hadn't even rung yet. Once the action got underway, Mickey delivered a drop toehold to Chelsea right into Cardona's crotch, which seems like a very common spot for these types of matches. Hannafin noted that this was Aldis's first impact match in five years, and up until he mentioned it, it totally slipped my mind that Aldis had even worked there. Remember that terrible gladiator gimmick? Cardona's radio silence was countered into a powerbomb by Aldis, and then Aldis and Mickey both applied Texas Cloverleaf submissions to their opponents, and in a neat spot, Cardona and Chelsea grabbed each other's hands and tapped out at the same time. Diana Perrazzo was interviewed backstage about her Champ Champ Challenge, and can I just say how much I love this concept, and when Diana does that little Champ Champ gesture she does with her shoulders, using the belts as, like, weights on a scale. Sometimes it's the subtleties that get these things over, and she's been great in this role. She made a really good point, and one that I cannot agree more with, when she addressed the new interim ROH champion Mercedes Martinez, saying how ridiculous it is to have an interim champion when the real champion is still active. I still don't get that either. Speedball Mike Bailey against Alex Shelley is up next, and was one of the matches that I was personally looking forward to, and it didn't disappoint. There was never a dull moment in this one. 
The momentum changed in Shelley's favor when Bailey attempted a standing moonsault on the apron, but ended up missing Shelley completely and landing with both knees on the apron. Shelley took over from there, but Bailey was able to counter a shell-shocked attempt and managed to bounce off the rope into a pinning combination to secure the victory. There was an influence promo next, and they were both constantly asked about the whereabouts of Caleb, who was noticeably absent from the show. So more seed planting there in the feud between them and the inspiration. That led into the four-way tag match for the Impact Knockout Tag Titles with defending champs the Influence, that being the team of Madison Rain and Tennille Dashwood, being challenged by Decay, Savannah Evans and Tasha Steeles, and Giselle Shaw and Lady Frost. It was pretty interesting here that both the Knockout Singles Champions Tasha Steeles and her number one contender Rosemary were competing in this match for the tag titles, but I liked that they were able to push different storylines at the same time. There was a neat spot where Rosemary speared Frost off of Havoc's knee, and from there Decay engaged in a brawl with Evans and Steeles, and the four of them just kind of fought to the back while the other two teams were left in the ring, and it was the influence with a double-team front Russian leg sweep to retain their belts. Eddie Edwards was interviewed about his match, and he made it clear that he was not representing Impact because the locker room, the fans, and the company turned their backs on him. And then it was Eddie Edwards representing Honor No More against New Japan star Tomohiro Ishii. This was another highly anticipated match for me. They started exchanging shoulder blocks center of the ring, and it definitely felt like a strong style of match. Edwards delivered the Kobashi chops at one point, and then a blue thunderbomb for a near fall. Ishii came back with a stiff headbutt followed by a brainbuster for the clean pin. This was a little surprising considering that Edwards is the leader of an anarchist group in Impact, and it does him no good to take a loss while he's trying to build momentum on TV. He's also supposed to face ROH champion Jonathan Gresham at Rebellion, and it does kind of remove some interest in seeing it if he keeps losing. PCO teamed with Moose to take on Josh Alexander and Jonah in the next encounter. This one was kind of confusing. Firstly, wasn't Alexander and Jonah feuding just a couple of months ago? Also, PCO represents Honor No More, the group trying to destroy Impact from within. Why would he want a team with the Impact World Champion, and why would Moose want a team with him? Why would they trust each other? Despite the booking mishaps, this was a pretty good match. PCO hit his devastating Deanimator to Alexander on the ring apron, which is basically a cannonball off the top rope. Moose decided to leave PCO high and dry and move towards the back, allowing Alexandra to hit his C4 spike move on PCO for the win. It was then the Champ Champ Challenge issued by ROH and AAA Women's Champion Diana Perrazzo. Answering the call was Fabi Apache from AAA. This was a very competitive match with lots of back and forth offense. In the end, Apache attempted a double underhook which Diana countered into a takedown and transitioned into a Fujiwara armbar for the tap out. But the most important part of this was in the aftermath as none other than Taya Valkyrie, the former Frankie Monet, made her impact return after about a 15 month absence to challenge Diana for the ROH women's title at Rebellion. This was really good and exciting, especially considering that Valkyrie's last match in Impact was against Diana. Chris Sabin versus Jay White was the co-main event of the show. This was another really good one and exceeded expectations in my opinion. Sabin had a close-range DDT for a near fall, and then White came back with a Saito suplex, but the end came when White tried the Blade Runner, which Sabin countered into a schoolboy for the win. 
After all that, it was a kind of disappointing finish. It felt very anticlimactic, especially considering, and as Hannafin noted, this was White's first loss in Impact Wrestling, and to lose this way just didn't feel special at all. After the match, Steve Macklin rushed the ring and started attacking Sabin for some reason. As White tried to pull him off, Macklin backed him off, so White started to leave only to attack Macklin with a low blow. I didn't understand any of what just happened. So if anyone listening happens to know something that I don't, please fill me in. The main event was the big tag match featuring the Briscoes against Gallows and Anderson, the Good Brothers. It was a pretty good match, but I felt it went by too quickly. Jay White came out for the distraction, which opened the door for the Good Brothers to hit the Magic Killer for the win. Also on Friday was the Ring of Honor Super Card of Honor show. It was the company's big return after a near four-month absence, and I'd say they came back strong. The event got underway with a one-on-one -on -one match between Shane Swerve Strickland and Alex Zane. This one kind of had a multiverse feel to it as well. It was very well paced throughout. The story was Strickland working over Zane's knees. I thought Zane did a good job of selling overall, but I didn't like that he kept going for moves that would seemingly cause more damage to that knee, including a poison Rana off the ring apron to the floor, which looked insane by the way, but kind of made Zane look dumb for doing it. He also delivered a shooting star press with his knees to the back of Swerve, who was bent over. Swerve was able to bounce back and hit the JML driver for the win. Out next was Tully Blanchard of all people, who quickly introduced his newest protege, Brian Cage. I don't quite understand this pairing, but I'm all for it. Cage was up against Ninja Mac, who he pretty much dominated throughout. I thought it was a little long for what I think was supposed to be a squash, but Cage did get the victory with the drill claw. Lee Moriarty versus Jay Lethal was next, and given everything that happened tonight, I'd love to see Moriarty stick around full-time, as I think he's one of the guys that could benefit from being on the ROH roster rather than the bloated one of AEW. Lethal attempted his signature moves in the early going, including the lethal injection and lethal combinations, but Moriarty seemed to have an answer for everything Lethal threw at him. There was a unique spot where Lethal went for the Hail to the King elbow drop, which Moriarty countered into a crucifix for a nearfall. After an impressive series of nearfalls that followed, Lethal took the low road with a low blow behind the ref's back, and then finished Moriarty off with the lethal injection. After the match, Moriarty's mentor Matt Seidel, who was out on crutches recovering from an injury, gets in Lethal's face about the low blow. Lethal then kicks one of Seidel's crutches out from under him and has apparently gone full-blown heel, which I think could be a good thing if he's staying in ROH. Sanjay Dutt then rushes the ring to pull Lethal back. Willow vs. Mercedes Martinez was next for the interim women's title, and as I said earlier, it doesn't make any sense for an interim champion to be crowned while the official champion is still active. There was a scary spot where Willow shorted a moonsault and crashed with her knees into Mercedes' sternum. She actually noticeably asked Mercedes if she was okay before going for the pin. Mercedes came back, locking in the Dragon Sleeper to win the title. The highly anticipated tag match was next for the ROH Tag Team titles with the Briscoes defending against FTR. FTR had very ROH-inspired gear on, as those FTR letters were definitely printed using the ROH logo design, which looked pretty cool. It seemed like FTR were playing the heels here, at least in the early going, as they seemed to have a more aggressive style. Overall, this was a really good match, and some have even said match of the weekend. I don't know if I'd agree with that, as there were some other great ones this weekend, but it was definitely up there.
FTR delivers a double-team slingshot to Jay face-first into a table which was positioned above him. This busted Jay wide open, and it looked like Dax was opened up as well at some point, but it might have just been Jay's blood that rubbed off. The Briscoes got a close near-fall after the redneck boogie on Cash, which is basically a combination powerbomb and blockbuster. Mark hit a whisper-in-the-wind-type move on Cash on the floor, and then the Briscoes almost beat FTR with their own finisher, the Big Rig. FTR was able to escape that pinning combo, but finally secured the pin on Jay after hitting the Big Rig themselves to win the titles. After the match, FTR laid the titles down in front of the Briscoes and bowed down as a sign of respect. But after FTR left, the Young Bucks came out of nowhere and dropped both Briscoes with super kicks. They then delivered a BTE and tried for the Melter Driver until FTR ran back out to chase them off. From the entranceway, the Bucks bragged about starting a new company who bought ROH and then said if fans wanted to see them, they can tune in on Wednesdays. Rhett Titus defended his television championship against New Japan's Minoru Suzuki up next. This was a very hard-hitting affair. They started exchanging slaps, but Titus eventually realized that he couldn't win that battle, so he turned this into a mat wrestling match from there. Suzuki ended up hitting the gotch pile driver out of nowhere to surprisingly win the belt. The pure title was defended in the co-main event with Josh Woods turning back the challenge of AEW's rising star Wheeler Yuta, another guy that ROH could and probably will benefit. Woods locked in a reverse figure four causing the first rope break for Yuta. Yuta quickly gets his second rope break to escape a double wrist lock with a short arm scissor. Yuta fires back with open hand palm strikes and then rolls right into a pin to claim the title and we have yet another new champion. The unification match closed the show. It was the official ROH World Champion Bandito against the interim champion Jonathan Gresham. This match was excellent, and my pick for match of the night and perhaps even the whole weekend. Bandito's entrance attire looked a bit like Kung Lao from Mortal Kombat, and his mask resembled Demolition a little bit, I thought. He was also accompanied by the legendary Chavo Guerrero Jr. Near the end of the match, the referee catches an accidental superkick, which allows Chavo to strike Gresham with the belt off a springboard, but Bandito says he doesn't want to win that way, and asks the ref to eject Chavo from ringside. Bandito actually gives Gresham time to recover from the belt shot as well. How honorable. After an amazing series of counters and reversals, Gresham ends up securing a Mahistral cradle for the win, and he's the new unified champion. Gresham didn't have too much time to celebrate, though, as almost immediately, his friend Jay Lethal comes out and says he wants to be first in line to challenge him. But Gresham says he wasn't impressed with Lethal's actions earlier, and Lethal takes offense, saying no one would even know who Gresham was if not for him, and both Gresham and the ROH fans need to be thankful for Jay Lethal. This totally reminded me of Terry Funk and Ric Flair, except no one was pile-driven through a table. Lethal does pie-face Grisham, but before they can fight, Sanjay Dutt runs down to separate them, but then turns around and sucker-punches Grisham. And Lethal and Dutt start double-teaming him until Lee Moriarty runs out for the save, but they quickly take him down too. All of a sudden, the lights go dim and flames appear across the screen as some music plays, and my immediate thought is Kane for some reason. But no, it was the returning Samoa Joe, who showed up in his ring gear and looks like he's going to be returning to active competition. He chases Lethal off and ends the show with the Coquina Clutch on Dutt. This was a tremendous show and the main event was great, though the ending was a tad overbooked, but it's still very entertaining and newsworthy. 
But then speaking of newsworthy, we've still got WrestleMania Night 2 to talk about. So let's get right into it, shall we? Jessie James Decker gets things started with her rendition of America the Beautiful. Even though I have no idea who this is, I must say that her version was a lot more lively than the guy who performed yesterday, whose name I have already forgotten. They also air essentially the same video package at the start of the show, with Mark Wahlberg joining us via video. I mean, it was a different video, but pretty much the same message. Wahlberg basically called it a sequel to last night's show. I just hope it doesn't follow in the footsteps of most sequels. The show starts with Triple H coming out to the ring to a massive pop, one of the biggest thus far. He has his wrestling boots in hand and basically just says thank you to all the fans in attendance and the ones watching around the world. Triple H leaves his boots behind before leaving the ring. The ring announcer then acknowledges Gable Stevenson sitting at ringside, and I love how they're making people hate this guy before he even debuts. The Raw tag team titles were defended first in a triple threat match. The crowd was really hot for Randy Orton, much to my surprise. There was a great spot right at the beginning where Montez Ford cleared the ring post with a tope suicida on all of his opponents on the floor and actually landed on his feet, which was an impressive display of athleticism. Gable follows that up with a moonsault to the outside as well. They build to the hot tag to Randy Orton who cleans house. The Prophets hit an amazing looking double team move on Gable which was a combination electric chair and blockbuster. There was another neat spot in the match where Montez climbs up to do the frog splash but before he could leave the buckles, Riddle springboards up and hits an RKO off the top rope which looked great. And then came the finish which was kind of dumb. Basically, Gable goes for a splash or something off the top and didn't happen to notice that Randy Orton was standing literally right beside him and Orton pops up and hits an RKO in midair for the win, so RK-Bro keep the belts. After the match, the Prophets and RK-Bro are in the ring and the Prophets extend the olive branch in the form of a toast. They pour everyone a drink and then invite Gable Stevenson to join them and then pour one for him as well, only for Chad Gable to re-enter the ring and smack the cup out of Stevenson's hand. Chad talks a bit of trash before Stevenson takes off his shirt and delivers an overhead belly-to-belly -belly throw. Really good moment, I'd say, for WrestleMania. Up next is the Battle of the Behemoths between Omas and Bobby Lashley. This went way longer than it needed to be, but was exactly the type of match that I was expecting out of these two. Lashley really tried to carry this one and, and did do a good job of selling for the big guy, but Omos is green as grass. They kept building to this one snap suplex spot that Lashley eventually did hit. It wasn't as impressive as Hogan body slamming Andre, but still looked pretty good. Lashley followed up with two spears, one to the back and another to the stomach for the final three count, much to my surprise. I don't even know what they do with Omos at this point. What good is he now that he's beatable? The celebrity match was next between Sami Zayn and Jackass Forever star Johnny Knoxville. This was all kinds of ridiculous, but Sami Zayn totally made it work, and parts were very entertaining. Zayn had the early advantage until he started taunting some of the Jackass crew at ringside, allowing Knoxville to catch a breather and use a fire extinguisher. Zayn quickly regained the advantage, but found a table filled with mouse traps underneath the ring, which he set up on the floor. Suddenly, Claudius, the party boy, emerges out of nowhere and strips down to his undies to dance, which distracts Sammy a little bit. Zayn eventually takes down party boy and kicks him under the ring, but then Wee Man pops up and starts beating on Zayn. Wee Man helps Knoxville pull out this mechanical boot from under the ring, but then Zayn regains the advantage and kicks Wee Man down. 
The finish comes when Zane climbs the buckles, but is met with a pair of tongs that Knoxville uses against Sammy's crotch. Knoxville then launches Sammy through the mousetrap table at ringside. Suddenly, the other jackass guys help Knoxville bring out a giant mousetrap, which he uses to trap Zane so he can't get up, and Knoxville gets the pin. This was your entertainment value, and even though I've never been a jackass fan, Sami Zayn was excellent in this match. And then the hits just kept on coming with the four-way for the women's tag team titles. It was the defending champions Queen Zelina and Carmella turning back the challenge of Sasha Banks and Naomi, Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan, and Shayna Baszler and Natalia. And automatically, the first thing I noticed here was that despite each of these pairings being teams, each person had an individual entrance, which makes me feel really confident in the future of any of these teams. I did like the attention to detail in this match, though. There was a spot where Rhea had a pin on Naomi, and three or four of her opponents attempted to break it up instead of just standing around. There was also a dual Tower of Doom spot where Liv and Rhea executed the power bombs from opposite corners of the ring, and I really liked that neither of them were deliberately trying to hurt their own partner, which is very common for these types of spots. The basic finish came when Sasha rolled into a facebuster delivery on Carmella out of a wheelbarrow position by her partner Naomi. That was kind of hard to describe. But Sasha and Naomi are your new tag team champions. From there, we went into the match that I was most looking forward to all weekend, and it is the showdown between Edge and AJ Styles. Here we go! The fans were hot for this one, and rightfully so. Bell to bell, they were having a great match that was tainted by a weak finish, but I'll get to that in a bit. Edge apparently has new theme music as of tonight, and a bit of a darker entrance. He was seated on an iron throne and had flames all around him. AJ also had a cut on his face for some reason. I'm not quite sure where that came from, but it didn't seem too troublesome. There was a feeling out process in the beginning, and AJ had the early advantage until he attempted a springboard 450 splash and landed on Edge's knees. From there, Edge attacked both AJ's sternum and shoulder, which the announcers had noted was separated by Edge in the Royal Rumble match and could have been re-aggravated in this match. AJ did a good job of selling the injury and then eventually mounted his comeback with a flurry of offense, including a slingshot DDT and a superplex landing on the ring apron, which looked pretty cool. And if it were anyone other than AJ delivering that move, I might have been worried. AJ got the Styles Clash for a near fall, but then as he set up for the phenomenal forearm, Damian Priest appeared at ringside for some reason, which momentarily distracted AJ long enough for Edge to catch him with a spear in midair off the springboard to get the victory. After the match, Edge and Priest embraced in the ring and exchanged sinister smiles, so there appears to be some kind of union between those two going forward. We didn't really get much time to breathe after that last match because they just kind of went into the next one between New Day and the team of Sheamus and Ridge Holland. We've basically seen several combinations of the same match on SmackDown for the last two months, and this didn't really need to happen. Byron Saxon replaced Pat McAfee on commentary, as I can only assume that McAfee was preparing for his own match by this point. There wasn't really much to speak of here. Cole noted that the New Day wore gear inspired by Big E, as it was apparently the same attire he wore when he won the WWE title all those ages ago. Butch, the former Pete Dunne, was acting like a madman at ringside, and Ridge eventually got the pin on Kofi. Not a particularly eventful match. As kind of a break in the action, The Undertaker appeared before the live audience, and the arena exploded with chants of thank you, Taker. Jefferson White was acknowledged at ringside. He plays Jimmy on the hit show Yellowstone. 
Up next is Pat McAfee against Austin Theory. The WWE certainly spared no expense for McAfee's entrance. He came out to the White Stripes hit song Seven Nation Army and was led to the ring by the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Theory was accompanied by Mr. McMahon who was seated at ringside. McAfee got the early advantage until Theory turned things around with a cross chop to the throat. But McAfee was very impressive in this one. He leapt from the ground to the top turnbuckle to deliver a superplex to Theory and then pulled a page from the Rocks playbook doing commentary as he was beating on Theory. I can't explain it, but McAfee is insanely over. The crowd popped louder than anything I've heard all weekend. I think he even got a bigger reaction than Stone Cold himself. It was nuts. The crowd was actually chanting the lyrics of the White Stripes song throughout the match. The finish kinda came out of nowhere as Theory had McAfee in a fireman's carry and McAfee basically just spun around into a schoolboy for the win, which didn't sit well with Mr. McMahon. McMahon really gave it to Theory, but then McAfee started challenging Vince to join him in the ring, and Vince removed his shirt and obliged. So we have yet another unadvertised match. Before it gets underway, Theory attacks McAfee from behind and crotches him into the ring post, giving McMahon a significant advantage. Vince then grabbed a football from Theory and punted it into the ribs of McAfee to pick up the easy victory. As Vince and Theory celebrated, it was cut short by the sound of shattered glass and Stone Cold Steve Austin made his way out to confront them. Austin stunned Theory quickly and then dropped McMahon much to the amusement of the live crowd. Austin then called McAfee back into the ring for a beer celebration and to the surprise of no one, stunned McAfee as well to end the segment. Closing the show was the big one for both the Universal and WWE Championships between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. Before the action begins, Roman grabs the microphone and commands WrestleMania to acknowledge him, I guess in the hopes of generating some last-minute heat. Brock draws first blood, so to speak, taking Roman out on the floor, and then starts stalking Heyman, who begs off, claiming it was all Roman's idea, and begs Brock to take him back. The momentary distraction allows Reigns to spear Brock through the barricade, and then hit a second spear in the ring for two, followed by a Superman punch. Brock comes back and takes Roman to Suplex City until a low blow cuts off his momentum. With the referee momentarily down, Reigns drops Brock with a shot with the title belt for a near fall. Roman then hits a spear, but as they hit the mat, Brock locks on the Kimura, but Roman eventually grabs the ropes. Roman then hits a spear out of nowhere for the very anticlimactic finish to what was otherwise a decent WrestleMania. And there you have it, the new unified champion, Roman Reigns. So another one is in the books, and with that, I'm going to sign off as well. Until next week, I'll leave you with an A-B-C-A.